For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. It's Revolution Recap, a weekly review of the New England Revolution, Major League Soccer, and the U.S. National Team on WNRI AM 1380 and streaming live on the internet at WNRI.com. Brought to you by Soccer New England Magazine and SoccerNewEngland.com. Covering the entire sport for the entire region for over 20 years. And now, Revolution Recap with your host, Sean Donahue. Welcome to Revolution Recap. I'm Sean Donahue, joined today in the studio by Joyce Furia, writer and photographer for Soccer New England. I've got a great show for you today. Coming up later, we have Kyle McCarthy from Goal.com and MLSNet.com, and also Eric Moskowitz from the Boston Globe, who recently uh, contributed an article about the revolution getting a stadium in Somerville, trying to, trying to get a stadium in Somerville and the possibilities there, so we'll talk to him about that. First of all, we haven't been, uh, we, we were on our last weekend, so there's a lot to catch up on. Uh, not, not, no good news for the Revs in these past two weeks. Losing 2-1 to one on Thursday night to D.C. and 1-0 last weekend to the Kansas City Wizards and losing Steve Ross in, in that game as well. So really a, a bad week for the Revs, and now they've gone uh, 11 games with just one win through all competitions. Isn't looking good for the Revs as they head towards the playoffs. No, that, that that's amazing when you when you told I, I didn't realize it was 11. Uh, that that's absolutely amazing. I, I remember being on with you last uh, spring, and we were being optimistic, and they were going to do it. They were going to definitely going to make the playoffs. Definitely, probably, probably going to get into MLS uh, finals. Uh, I don't know. I, I would be very surprised if they do, especially with Ralston down. Ralston is such a key to that team. Yeah, and Ralston this year has been their leading scorer and their leading assister, and really the offense has flowed through him the entire season when he's been out there. And now that they're playing this 4-4-2 formation without him, I, I just don't think it's the same revs as we've seen in the past. I think they play a lot better in a 3-5-2, but at the same time, they don't really have the, the right guy that they need for that for that formation anymore, and that's why I've seen Nickel, at least against D.C., go with the 4-4-2 formation. Yeah, uh, yeah, I agree. What what has been a bit troubling to me has has been the back line. Um, Badia came in late in the season, relatively, and I, I, it just hasn't gelled. I, I think he's a lot better player than than we seem to see him, but he's really not into the system yet. And and Parkhurst, who is absolutely one of my favorites, he's so smart. Um, you know, I, I just don't think they've they've meshed yet. Uh, so I, I don't know. I, I love to say I was optimistic about uh, the next game, but we'll see. There were some good signs, though, against D.C. The Revs actually were creating some a lot more offense than they had been in the past games where they played a 4-4-2. They've only won one game all year in a 4-4-2 formation, which is not good news either if they're going to be sticking with that. But I completely agree with you about Parkhurst and Medea. They haven't really uh, formed a good partnership together at all. I think Medea has shown some great skills and shown that he yeah. you know, could be a great player for this team. But I don't know if there's enough time, um, which is one game left, for them to, to bond and 
get a good formation back there in the back line. Where Parker's, I think, against DC was one of his poor, poor performances of the season. And I yeah, think, yeah, that's I think true. Really, all of his his not so great performances this year, for the most part, have been when they played a four man back line. I think he looks a lot better for the Revs in that three man back line. Um, part of it's probably not being very familiar with playing with Medea, but he was turned by Francis Doe on that last goal in a way that you usually don't see him get beat by uh, by players, and it was surprising to me. Yeah, I, I, I don't think any player that, that that's on the team doesn't give as much as he can, but you can't help wondering if, you know, all the losses, everything that's gone on, uh, d- doesn't have a mental effect, even if it's subconscious. And I also wonder when it comes to Parkhurst, what about next year? You know, he's one of those players, for me, as as Dempsey was. I don't want him to go, but for his sake, I want him to go. Give him a chance to play overseas, although at this point it's not working out all that well, at least this year, for Dempsey. But um, I'd love to see Michael get a chance to play in Europe. And I think that's another reason they brought in Badia, too, with that yes, potential. And yes. I think going forward, we could see Badia in a three-man back line, and I think he has the skills to do that. And with time and a full preseason, I'm sure it would look very good in the Rose back line, but right now it will be interesting to see if they can come together before the playoffs. But the, the good news is the Revs did, did do so well early on that they've already clinched the playoff spot. They're, they're still in a position now where they couldn't get second place. They're tied with Chicago on points, thanks to Chicago getting some poor results lately, too. Chicago not in good form, yeah. really, which is going to be which is good news for the Revs going forward into the playoffs. But the Revs really need to, need to figure it out in this last game so they can get some momentum going because confidence cannot be high with this team. Though, as I said, with 11, throughout competitions in the last 11 games, just one win. Um, winless in their last five games. Um, just, if you just look at MLS competition, only one win in their last nine, which isn't a much better stat. Yeah. Uh, but really, I think this this last game is going to be key if they can you know, come together and perform better. And I think part of that key is going to be that Twelman gets some support from his second forward. Uh, Kelly Dubé, I think, needs to get back into form. and he's wor- I think he's working at that and getting closer, but yeah, still right. a little bit to go, and that's going to be key. Uh, or Mansali stepping up and, and taking that role. It'll be interesting to see what happens against Kansas City and if they can get a win there, because Kansas City is going to be a team going in there still without a playoff spot clinched, and they're going to need a win as well. So they're going to be they're going to be hungrier uh, cause, because the Rebs are already in it. Yeah, it, it, I was thinking as I was coming here, I was thinking about uh, Mansali, Neasse, and Dubé. They're 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 all really good, potentially much better players than they appear to be, but they're all young. I mean, I don't know how old Dubé is, but the other two are 19. And if there were a more, I want to say better. I don't want to disparage the revs but if the, if they had a better team around them it'd give them time to grow more and i think at this point they'd be even better i, I hate to say wait till next year uh, but and that may be what it comes down to and none of them are looking as good as they had been at the right very start of the season whether that's because the defenses of the other teams have figured them out or because the revs as a whole aren't looking as good uh, and that's affecting their performances remains to be seen, but they they do have this key game coming up against Kansas City, and they, they could, if they get a win, potentially get second place, and Kansas City, meanwhile, as I said, needs a win, so it's going to be another playoff-like game for Kansas City, as it was on Thursday for D.C., and really as it was against Kansas City in that last game, where right. the Revs have less to play for than their opponents, so it's a good, good experience for these guys to be in such a tough situation. But do you think, assuming they, whether they win or lose, they get into the playoffs, do you really think they're going to get to MLS Cup this year? The way they're looking right now, it'd be hard to say that they yeah. would. I certainly don't think so. 
Um, Steve Rawson has been such a key player for them all year. Oh, absolutely. When he's been yeah. out, they have not done very well. And I, I think if Twelman Twelman was was taking a lot into his own hands, I think against DC, taking some long shots that you don't normally see him take, and actually doing pretty well with some of them. Yeah. And he also scored a nice goal that was really set up by Castro and Dubé, which is a great play there. But if Twelman keeps getting service, and if the defense, I think the defense is the key thing to 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 figure out here because the offense I thought against DC was looking better. Um, then really it, it had all season without Rawson in there. And that was a positive sign for the Revs. If they can keep that going and build upon that, and if the defense can figure itself out, because they, ha- they have the personnel to have a good defense, and there's no question about it that they have some good players back there. It's just whether it can come together. I don't know if there's enough time. Right now I would say no, but uh, I, I don't think it would be impossible for them to figure it out in the time period they have left. Yeah, I, I, I don't know if they're going to win or not. I, I, I wouldn't bet money one way or the other. But I think they really, really need to win to get their confidence back. They don't need it to get into the playoffs, obviously. But to get their confidence back, to feel better about themselves. Um, There have been games when Shallery, God help us, hasn't played quite as well as he could. And he's absolutely one of my favorite players. And he contributes so, so much to the team. Um, The same with Laurentowitz has been off a little bit. but, you know, we'll see in a few days. And we've seen in the past, too, when the Revs go to these MLS Cup championships, for the most part, it's been on the end of, you know, long, long undefeated streaks towards the end of the season, six, seven yeah. game unbeaten runs that they've, they've taken in to the playoffs for the most part. And that certainly isn't the case this year. Uh, last year, not as much either, however, but at the same time, nowhere near as bad as they've been doing this year. I do want to get to a quick break here now, though, so we can get uh, have plenty of time to get Kyle McCarthy on as well as Eric, and then we'll have some more time to discuss the Revs' recent results uh, <laughs> at the end of the show after we've talked to them. But we are going to take a quick break now. Sure. Looking for soccer in New England? It's all right here at Soccer New England Magazine and SoccerNewEngland.com. New England's premier soccer magazine celebrating over 20 years of in-depth soccer coverage. Professional teams, college soccer, men's and women's amateur leagues, youth and high school teams. Soccer New England Magazine's got it covered. Looking for youth soccer camps? You'll find them here. Dedicated to bringing the excitement of soccer home to you with stories, scores, and insights in both print and on the web. Soccer New England Magazine and SoccerNewEngland.com. Covering the entire sport for the entire region for over 20 years. National Soccer Hall of Fame is every fan's dream. It's the history of the game in pictures and video, World Cups and jerseys. Visit us online at www.soccerhall.org and plan your trip to Oneonta. And now back to Revolution Recap with Sean Donahue on WNRI AM 1380. Welcome back to Revolution Recap. I'm Sean Donahue, joined in studio today by Joyce Furia of Soccer New England. Now we're joined over the phone by Kyle McCarthy of MLSNet.com and Goal.com. Kyle, how are you doing today? Great, Sean. How are you? 
Great. Thanks a lot for joining us. Hey, anytime. Well, we were talking about the Revs' loss on Thursday night. I know you were down there. What, what was the reaction afterwards from this game? The Revs, obviously, in a pretty pretty bad run of form with that. As we said earlier, only one win in their last uh, 11 matches. You know, they're very frustrated at this point. I mean, they're looking to turn the season around. They know there aren't there isn't a whole lot of time to do it. I mean, there's one game left in the regular season, and then Chicago beckons in the Eastern Conference semifinals. So um, it, it's a team that really wants to get a result. And do you think that they really can recover from the loss of Ralston? They did create some offense against D.C., but it seems like he's had a huge impact on them all year long. I remain unconvinced uh, about this team and its ability to uh, adequately uh, deploy a 4-4-2 formation. Uh, I think that's what we're going to see for the rest of the season. Um, I think a lot of the chances that were created against D.C. came from set pieces, uh, came from long-distance shots. Um, I'm not seeing enough of the attacking wide play uh, that you want to see from a 4-4-2. And they they're getting absolutely nothing through the middle in terms of offensive production. So it's it, it's difficult to envision the Revs really kicking it up enough um, to really have a, a chance in the playoffs. But, you know, it, it's New England. It's Steve Nichol and Paul Mariner. It's a core of players who have done this before, looked bad going into the postseason before, and turned things around. So you can never really count them out. And I know you mentioned the the Reds have been taking long, you know, against DC took some long shots. Um, so that was some of their chances. You had a quote from a twelve where he said that he needs to start shooting from outside the box and getting chances himself. Is that is that really a good thing for the Reds to have a twelve and you know, when he gets the ball outside the box taking these shots? Is that but um, but the, the Reds are best at even in this four four two? Taylor Twelman is a box player in England. They would call him a fox in a box. Um, he's a poacher. Um, he does his best work when he's close to goal, whether he can get his head on it. Uh, get a one-time finish. That's what Taylor Twelman does very well. Taylor Twelman is, is not particularly known for his uh, long-distance shooting ability. Um, and the farther away he gets from goal, the less dangerous he becomes. And, uh, if you're going to run this formation, uh, you need service in the wide areas to get the ball into the box, dangerous service, um, to really give Twelman the supply that he needs. And he really hasn't had the supply he's wanted Um over the past couple of months, and, you know, he's been pretty vocal about that. Um, I, I think he likes to switch to the 442. He, he said as much after the game on Thursday. Um, likes how he, he can find his spaces there. Thinks he'll be able to get service in it. Um, but if, from a revolution point of view, the ball needs to get to Taylor Twelman inside the penalty area in order for him to be at his most effective. On the plus, plus side of the service, um, it seems like Castro has been performing, Mauricio Castro has been performing a lot better recently than he had been during the, the for a long stretch during the middle of the season where it seems like his form kind of ta- tapered off. But even on the right, he's been looking good, and he's been the one guy, it seems like, when he does get forward, his service has been pretty consistent. Is he going to be a permanent fixture, you think, on the right side going forward? Or is Niasi, now that he's back from national team duty, who it seems like his form's dropped um, considerably from what we've seen at the start of the season, whether that's through his own actions or through defenses figuring him out, uh, but do you think Castro is going to be uh, a part of the starting lineup again, the way he's been playing lately? I, I don't know if you can drop Castro at this point. Um, I, I agree with you. I think his form has improved. Um, I, I think he's done a better job of getting the ball in the box. Um, I think he has been a little bit tidier with his passing. I, I still don't find him particularly dangerous. I, I don't think that he has that burst of pace on the right side to really uh, 
go at the fences. And I don't know um, whether he brings enough if his crossing game isn't on. And it's been spotty this year. Um, I also agree about Niasi. I think he has really suffered a, a dip in form. Um, you know, his, for me, the problem with Niasi over the past couple of months is that his um, service has been pretty much uniformly terrible. Um, you know, it's great to have a lot of pace, um, but it, his service has just not been very good. Um, but the thing you have to remember with Niasi is he's 19 years old. Uh, you know, he's going to go through those dips in forms. Um, and, you know, we'll have to see. I mean, I think Castor has done enough to stay in for this week. Um, but long term, I think Niasi's going to be the guy over there. Um, it's just going to be a week-to-week thing going forward for now. Yeah. Um, hi, Kyle. How are you? Joyce, how are you? Good. It's been a while. I haven't run into you by the elevators lately. Um, I know, right? <laughs> Smith, who mm. drives everybody crazy, but mm. every once in a while he, he does it right. Um, do you think he's gotten any better uh, providing some service to Taylor? No, I, I really don't. <laughs> I think... I, yeah, you know, I, the, I figured that's what you'd say, but I thought I'd yeah. ask anyway. Yeah, well, you know, that's the thing with with Kano so frustrating because you know the talent's there. Yeah. Um, you know he's got ability, um, and he does something spectacular one out of every ten times he has the ball. Yeah. And it's that one time that, you know, it seduces you into, you know, oh, you know what, let's <laughs> throw him out there game after game. But then the other nine times you're like, what are you doing with the ball, Kano? Um, so, you know, it, it's difficult. I, there aren't a lot of options in the left. Um, and, you know, for what he does, I think he had a nice run um, for about a month or so where he was playing pretty good soccer, but the last couple of games he is certainly not. Yeah. And why do you think we've seen so little of uh, Wells Thompson lately? It seems like, well, he hasn't been, he's never been a very consistent player, at least lately, or as compared to his form last year, that at least going up and as a substitute, he has at least contributed a little bit to this team this year, and now it seems like over these last couple of games, even when the injuries have been adding up, he's been playing less and less. I don't really see Wells Thompson as a contributor uh, long-term. I, I don't really see him being much of a help short-term. Um, because when he gets on the field, I mean, he runs he runs a lot, uh, which is good. Um, he has a lot of industry. Uh, but his quality is, is is just not there and hasn't been there this season, you know. Uh, he showed flashes last year, and, and I think the expectations were that he was going to kind of kick on a little bit, um, you know, become more consistent. Um, you know, kind of improve his play, and he's really stagnated. You know, he's been pretty much the same player that he was last year. Uh, and I don't think that that's good enough um, with the options that the Revs have had on the wings. Not saying that uh, the Revs have had especially good wing play this year because they haven't, but I'm saying that with Niasi, Smith, and Castro around, uh, there's not a whole lot of reason to throw him on the field if they're not fading. And the other question is, looking at this midfield, with a 4-4-2 formation, they have two defensive midfielders out there. Not a lot of offense being created from the center. Certainly not the amount that was created from Rawson. You heard in the broadcast on Thursday night they were talking about, oh, Shari Joseph needs to step up and you know, play more offense, and he's capable of doing that. But I don't think we really saw that even on Thursday when the Revs were creating chances. I don't think they were coming from him. I think he's capable of certainly making some great passes and setting things up. But do you see him as needing to get forward a lot more uh, with this current formation that they're playing and uh, be more of a provider? You know, it's really tough because that's not what Shalry Joseph is supposed to be doing. You know, I mean, you're asking him to do a lot. Can he do it? Yeah, I think he probably could. 
Um, but that's not where he's suited to play, and that's not what he's suited to do. I think perhaps the best thing for Joseph to do right now is to really uh, do two things. One, you know, make sure that when the Reds have the ball in midfield, it, they keep the ball, you know, move it around, keep possession, um, be really tidy in the passing. That's the most important thing. The second thing he needs to do is be able to get the ball out wide quickly, um, you know, spread the field out. And then maybe he creates some space. Maybe he can creep up a little bit more than he uh, has in the past. I mean, get some some gaps in the opposing defenses. But if you if you can't get those gaps, at least you're getting the ball wide. You're getting it to areas where you know Castro and Smith can try and be dangerous with it, um, because the refs haven't been particularly dangerous going down the spine of the field lately. I guess that also leads to the question uh, you mentioned earlier. Not not convinced by this four man back line on this this formation. I, I certainly am not either from what we've seen. Is, is there any way that the Revs can go back to a 3-5-2? Is there someone that can fit into that Steve Ralston role or, or even a modified you know, version of that role in that formation where the Revs have looked better in certainly all year playing? You know, I mean, you know, if you were going to do it, if you were going to go back to the 3-5-2, what you would do is you would put Mauricio Castro in behind um, in behind Twelman and Dubé Bring the Aussie in on the right, keep Smith on the left. That's probably the only way you're doing a 3-5-2, unless, I mean, this has been an experiment that um, Nicholas tried earlier, putting Joseph in that role right behind uh, the strikers. It hasn't worked. Um, I, I just don't see him handing the keys to Mauricio Castro and saying, here, go out and create. Um, I, I just don't see it happening. Um, so I think it's going to stay with the 4-4-2, and, you know, defensively, I haven't been convinced. And the problem with the four four two is that, you know, part of the reason that the Revs are playing the four four two is they want to remain solid. They want to stay, you know, tight at the back. And I haven't seen it. And going forward, we were talking about it earlier, the Revs' chances of repeating and getting back to the cup. Um, do you think that's possible with this, this current lineup? Or more, more importantly, is it, at all likely that they will do that the way they're playing currently? Or does something drastic need to happen, uh, at least against Kansas City, You know, really really showing that they can play here and building confidence at least in that game going forward? Or is it too late for you know, them to change things around and actually come back and get into good form? It, it's definitely not too late. Um, you know, the playoffs are a whole new ball game. Um, you know, the season starts again. Um is it likely? I'm not so sure. The Reds have really, really struggled with Chicago this year. Uh, teams with pace on the wings just kill them. Uh, you know, so is it going to be a hard road? Yes. Is it one that the Reds can uh, go through? Absolutely. I mean, this is a team that, you know, there are few teams in the league that know how to rally the wagons like uh, the New England Revolution. So, I mean, can it, can it happen? Yes. Is it likely? Probably not. And is that second scene important? Because the Reds still have a chance at that, especially with what we've seen over the years going into overtime and penalty kicks, having that at home. Because certainly the Reds have a history of doing that. Yeah. No, I no, the second seed has been important. And, it, and with the performances by New England and Chicago over the past couple of weeks, it doesn't seem like the teams agree that the second seed is particularly important. Uh, but it is. Um, you might need that um, heading into the playoffs. And, you know, it... it you're going to see some competitive games this weekend with all of the, the slots still open. And, um, you know, I think Chicago, 
has a difficult game, but they also know all they have to do is match the Revolution's result. And, uh, you know, that says a lot. Um, the, if you're a Revolution fan, I, I think the positive part about it uh, is that, you know, you'll have a chance to take a look at it and say, well, you know what? Chicago played on Thursday. We know exactly what we're going to do. We know what we need. If Chicago can't get the win against New York, a New York team fighting for the playoffs, then they can go out and say, hey, we get three points at home against Kansas City. You know, we'll have home field in the first round of the playoffs. At least the Reds will know going into Saturday. Yeah, that that would be a, a key key factor going into that game and how much importance it has for the Reds, too. But uh, changing the, the subject a little bit, a lot of the buzz this week around the Revs has been about the possibility of a stadium in Somerville. Obviously, there's been talks about that for you know, a long time. I, know, I believe you had a piece on it a, a while back, but it seems like the talks have kind of di- died down until uh, this recent Globe article by Eric Moskowitz, who we're going to have on later. What kind of an impact do you think that would have on the Revs? Would that legitimately increase attendance, and would that be you know, a good thing for the Revolution at this time? Well, I mean, the soccer specific stadiums are always a good thing. Um, you want the atmosphere. Uh, you want to have your own place. You want to be able to be the primary tenant in the stadium. And I, I think, obviously, for the long-term future of the New England Revolution, they need a soccer-specific stadium. Now, that being said, in Somerville, um, is that a good location for it? Uh, I think so. Uh, I think it, it's close. It's right off the highway. Um, if they get the T extension with the green line, um, you're looking at, a possibility of getting more city dwellers out to games. Um, and I think that's important. Um, I think it's got to be the right size. Um, I think we've got to do it the right way. Um, and I don't think it's anywhere close to done. I think it's still in the stages where, you know, we're going to explore all the options. We're going to try like hell. But, um, you know, it, it's still a dream. Um, and I'm interested to see how this develops over the next six to 12 months. Yeah, it'll certainly be interesting to see if, if anything concrete can get done, if uh, any plans get done, but it does seem like this is a long-term project. We've seen some of these other these other teams have what looked like good possibilities going forward and only for them to, to die out, so nothing's, nothing's done yet, that's for sure. No, absolutely not. It's MLS. You never know what's going to happen tomorrow. <laughs> and before we let you go, I know you do a lot of writing for MLSnet.com and uh, you have your column and your blog on Goal.com, as well as a lot of other publications out there we can find your writing in. Uh, what do you have planned for the upcoming weeks? Any ideas on you know what topics you'll be looking at going forward in this week? Well, you know, I wrote a big, long takeout on Friday on my blog and on Goal.com about the drug situation and how um, Jeff Park and John Conway uh, could appeal their drug suspension. Um, we're going to take off on that for tomorrow's um, Monday MLS breakdown. Um, really go over the whole thing, hash it out, and um, see how the Red Bulls can cope without the uh, the services of Park and Conway heading in uh, to the playoffs. And You know, there will be a preview on MLS then on Friday uh, for the Thursday game, for the Saturday game, and, you know, the blog during the week, blog at goal.com, Wednesdays and Fridays. It's like clockwork at this point. Well, thanks a lot for joining us today, and keep up the great work. Thanks, Sean. Bye, Joyce. Bye there. Again, that is Kyle McCarthy, who writes for MLSnet.com and Goal.com. We are going to go to another quick break now, so we can get on Eric Moskowitz and ask him on his take on the stadium and 
you know, what he's found out lately uh, about that whole situation and the possibility of the Revs actually getting their own stadium in Somerville. National Soccer Hall of Fame is every fan's dream. It's the history of the game in pictures and video, World Cups and jerseys. Visit us online at www.soccerhall.org and plan your trip to Oneonta. Looking for soccer in New England? It's all right here at Soccer New England Magazine and SoccerNewEngland.com. New England's premier soccer magazine celebrating over 20 years of in-depth soccer coverage. Professional teams, college soccer, men's and women's amateur leagues, youth and high school teams. Soccer New England Magazine's got it covered. Looking for youth soccer camps? You'll find them here. Dedicated to bringing the excitement of soccer home to you with stories, scores, and insights in both print and on the web. Soccer New England Magazine and SoccerNewEngland.com Covering the entire sport for the entire region for over 20 years. And now back to Revolution Recap with Sean Donahue on WNRI AM 1380. Welcome back to Revolution Recap. I'm Sean Donahue joined in the studio by Joyce Fiore of Soccer New England. Um, right now we're trying to get Eric on the phone. We're having a little bit of problems with his with his phone, but uh, um, I think we're going to have him on pretty shortly. Get in touch with him now. Uh, but looking at the the possibility of the Revs having a stadium in Somerville, uh, I think it would be great for the Revs to get their own stadium. Personally, it's going to be difficult if they if it is in Somerville for me to get to. Uh, yeah, but, me too. But, but but you know we'll make the effort. But I know we were discussing earlier about the possibilities of you know will this really increase the Revs' attendance? Because it certainly is going to hurt in some cases people like. Like me, who live down in you know in Rhode Island or in southern Massachusetts, it's going to make them a lot harder to get to the games. Uh, overall, obviously, some fans are going to be lost, some are going to be gained. What do you think? Is, is Somerville a good choice, and would that get a positive effect on attendance? I, I you know, I, I, I honestly don't know how I feel about that. I, you want to say yes because they have access to all of the greater Boston area a lot, but especially people who who don't drive. All the, the the Italian community in the North End, and all of the the different ethnic communities that are in closer to Boston that may not get, you know, it, it's not easy to get to Foxborough uh, unless you have somebody who can drive you down. And as it is, the roads are crow- crowded now. Um, I'd like to think it will. I honestly don't think it's the best location. I really don't. I think you're cutting off a lot of Southern New England by doing that. But well, and it is certainly great to see the crafts putting in. Uh, the, the effort to look into the stadium because they have put in so much money into that stadium now, especially building yes, up the mall yeah. around it, that they would be looking into you know, actually going out and buying a stadium and buying that plot of land and putting in all that money just solely for the revolution. Well, also the possibility of some concerts there as well, but 
for the most part, for the revolution. Yeah, going basi- out there and basically that a soccer, a soccer stadium. Yes, I I think they deserve a lot of credit for that. I, I know this pressure uh, from uh, MLS in general to get more soccer-specific stadiums, but uh, I'd, I'd like to see it someplace in the Metro West area. But there's probably no land, and if there is, it probably cost a fortune. <laughs> and I believe now we've got uh, Eric Moskowitz from the Boston Globe on the line now. Eric, thanks a lot for joining us today. Oh, you're welcome, Sean. And we were we were looking at your article earlier. Um, what, what are your thoughts? From what where do you find how how much of a possibility is this really that the Revs get this stadium in Somerville? Looks like a lot of people are positive about it. A lot of you know important officials are positive about it. But how far away are we from actually seeing um, some something concrete going forward about the possibility of you know actually buying that land and actually getting a stadium there? Sure, I think what you see with the investment in the study is that the crafts have really signaled their strong interest in putting a stadium somewhere. Uh, whether it's Somerville or uh, otherwise, I think it's too early to say. Uh, though this is the first place where they've invested money in actually researching if this is feasible. I think one of the reasons, you, you know, they'll, they play their cards somewhat close, at, at, you know, as business people. Um, and I think that, uh, you know, they're reluctant to commit to an area yet. Uh, certainly in Somerville, the officials feel like the fact that the crafts have invested in that study is a sign of their very strong interest. Uh, and, and uh, you know, sort of overlaid with this is the fact that, uh, you know, the green line is going to be extended through Somerville and into Medford. And so that area where they're looking is a place that, you know, six years out will have uh, rapid transit with the Green Line. And so because that area is going to be developed, just as you guys were talking about land being scarce, here's a parcel of land that's big enough in the urban core uh, and is really undeveloped. And so I think they're looking at maybe, you know, can this be coordinated, and that's why uh, they put the money into it. But it's definitely a sign that they're interested somewhere, and uh, their interest in, in, in Somerville is pretty strong. So what have you seen from that area? Does that look like a good location for for a stadium, and certainly you think that would be conducive to you know, getting bringing in some new fans to the stadium from uh, their current base? Well, uh, if you were to actually go out there now, it wouldn't wouldn't look like a whole lot. Uh, it's pretty much, you know, if you've ever driven uh, either on the McGrath Highway or, or 93 and you look down there, it's largely like tow lots, um, kind of old warehouses, and it's really an area where Somerville kind of wants to reshape for economic development. So they envision, you know, a number of things there in the future, you know, in the next uh, decade, uh, you know, uh, businesses, residences, shops, and I think they think, uh, and the Crafts do too, that a stadium could be a real anchor there and, and would uh, inevitably probably serve as a home to both uh, the Revolution and also as a concert venue or, or a soccer-specific stadium, but obviously a place that would generate revenue more than just uh, during the soccer home games. And I, and I think that um, it certainly would be, you know, it would be highway accessible. They would obviously need to do work to the roads so that traffic could access it. I mean, it's very close to the highways, but... Um, not the easiest to navigate around, but certainly when they get the green line in there, that would be very easy to get there on public transit from anywhere on the MBTA system. And it seems like based on uh, you're talking to the mayor that he's very positive about this possibility, but is that indicative of the rest of Somerville? Do you think the majority of people there would be behind it, or is that going to be an issue too? Uh, where possibly the population of Somerville wouldn't be you know, that attractive to the, the possibility of a, the revolution building a stadium there. Sure. Well, you know, short of... of you know, actually polling the public, my, my sense from just people who I've talked to in Somerville is that uh, many people think it's a great idea. Uh, invariably, when you have a, you know, uh, project that might cost $100 million just for the stadium alone, and then, uh, you know, you're talking billions when you figure everything with the green line and uh, sort of affiliated development, uh, I think invariably you're going to find some people who don't like it in their backyard, no matter where it is. 
you know, it would be, it would be too early to say whether that would be an obstacle to development or something that just comes up wherever you try to put a stadium. And it seems like, particularly looking at some of the comments people have written on there, and looks like every time somebody has a, you know, an article about the possibility of a soccer stadium, that you know, reading the comments are very interesting to see how the people around there feel. Do you think that being a soccer, being soccer specifically, would have an effect there? Whereas maybe if they were bringing in a baseball team or a football team, a sport that's more popular in this country, uh, people would be more open to it. Where it seems like a lot of people are just uh, openly against soccer for some reason or other. It seems like have something against it and. Maybe that would be an effect on on their opinions of actually building a stadium there that would be for soccer and not for one of these other sports. You know, I think you're right. There may be some sort of mystery or curiosity to it, people not quite knowing what they'd be getting. But I actually think in the case that it would be a soccer stadium and not, say, a baseball stadium, I think you're probably more likely to have people receptive in that area because uh, it wouldn't be as big or used as, as frequently. And so, the, you know, to the extent that that's a residential area, which it really isn't, um, at least directly, uh, I think there, there, you have less of a disruption with the soccer stadium, although uh, obviously any time you're putting in uh, a facility that big, you know, at least 20,000 30,000 people, it's going to change uh, what, what the area looks like. And we've seen a lot of other specific stadiums, soccer-specific stadiums, be built throughout the country. In particular, some of the, the selling points, it seems like, have been, uh, for example, for Dallas, when they built their stadium, they had, I think, 14 or even more than that, soccer fields around there that are specifically for public use and are you know, al- allowed and certainly help the community in that way and all the, the public sports there. I think they also have like football fields as well. Is, is this a possibility in Summerfield, or is this plot of land not going to be big enough to, to do something to that extent? Uh, you know, it's, it's too early to say. They're, they're really in the conceptual stages. I, I would think that it would be difficult to get uh, that much land where you could have a lot of fields around it. I think what you'd see in this case would be something more akin to you know, maybe a Fenway Park, where it's really a stadium kind of nestled into an urban area, and it would be difficult to get both, although obviously not speaking from a planning perspective. Uh, but, but really where, where they are is, is just kind of on the sketchboard, invested this money to see just what they could get out of that. You know, would it work if you put a stadium in there? How would traffic flow around it? How would it work in relation to the Green Line? Um, and, and you know, if and when they go forward, that's when they would figure out uh, more of the details. And another one of the key things that has been mentioned as far as building a stadium in the, in the city is the the access for colleges. And I know you mentioned that it's in the uh, I think the, the power triangle of MIT, Tufts, and Harvard. How close is it actually to those colleges? Sure. Uh, you know, if you're a, if you're a walker or an ambitious walker, you could get on foot uh, from any of those places. It would be no more than a couple miles from any of them. But if you're on the T, uh, you know, it would be only a few hundred feet from the T stop. I think what the one of the reasons why the mayor brought that up is because. You know, here you have this area that is almost undiscovered because it's between those two highways and has sort of been cut off from uh, uh, other development. But it's really only, you know, uh, as the crow flies, a few hundred yards even from Kendall Square where there's so much, uh, you know, biotech and uh, sort of kind of 21st century corporate development. And I think they would love to attract that, uh, you know, sh- to share that area. I-, I think the way they're envisioning it, you know, if it came to be that the that the T put the maintenance yard there and they had a stadium over the yard, uh, I think you'd have a really sort of inter- interesting and intricate uh, project there that would uh, ha- have many different elements to it: uh, businesses, the stadium, potentially uh, people living around it. Uh, all, you know, kind of all woven together there in, a, in an urban area. And I guess the final question here is: looking at the economy and the current situation that yeah. the, the country and that's got to have an effect on you know whether or not they go forward with this. I would think. And the way it's going now, 
putting in all that money and uh, certainly makes it harder for people that afford even tickets going to these games. And, of course, I would think the crafts as well would have taken it taking a hit with the way this is going. Do you think that's going to be a, a slow slowing down this this process here with uh, how the, the economy in general is doing right now? Uh, you know, economics isn't my area of expertise. I, I think you're right. Uh, it's, it's difficult for anybody uh, working on a project this big uh, to, to get credit these days. But I think, on the other hand, co- we've seen costs really uh, inflate very quickly for building materials and things like that. And if they're going to do this in this particular area, uh, now is really the time to get going on it because... Uh, the state is planning that you know six hundred million dollar green line extension, and uh, you know I think it, w- it would present a real opportunity to you know if, if everybody was on board with it, go forward at this point because uh, you know one thing they would save on would be uh, land acquisition costs. I mean, if the state ends up clearing out that particular area to build the you know the, the maintenance yard for the green line cars, and they were to do this over it, you know then uh, you know they would obviously have to pay for either purchase or lease of the rights to build on top of that yard, but they wouldn't have to actually do the sort of heavy lifting involved in, in acquiring those parcels. So, I, you know, I, 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 don't know, I, I, I don't know enough to say uh, whether the, uh, the, you know, the current economic picture would dissuade them from it, but I think that, on the other hand, the, the timing of the Green Line project, if that's when they're going to do this uh, in East Somerville, it's definitely something that they're going to, you know, this, this sort of timing is now to plan that and... Uh, figure out if this is the right way to do it. Well, as, as far as the money goes in general, seeing these other stadiums, one of the big stalling points for all of them, it seems, or most of them at least, has been the issue of public funding. Do you think, or at least from what you've heard so far, uh, do you think it would be mostly paid for by the crafts, or would they be looking for a significant amount of public funding for the stadium itself and, and development of that, or would it be more just for the development of the area and, and the roads around there and the tea that the crafts would be looking for help with? You know, they haven't said publicly uh, certainly one thing they have done is met with, or at least the, you know, the representatives of the crafts through this study have met with some of the top economic development officials in the state. Uh, you know, that, that would be the, uh, both the economic development and the uh, executive office of transportation people, uh, but, but nobody has said yet, you know, where the money would come from, whether they would be looking for, uh, you know, public financing. I think they'd probably first want to see if the stadium would work and then, uh, you know, just what kind of support there would be for it. Well, thanks a lot for joining us today. Oh, you're welcome. It was great to see someone you know, finally giving some coverage to the, the re- possibility of the Revs getting a soccer-specific stadium. Uh, you did some great work in researching that article, and uh, it was great to read it. Oh, well, thank you, Sean. Thanks a lot, Eric. Take care. Again, that was uh, Eric Moskowitz. If you haven't read it, uh, be sure to go to boston.com and uh, look up the article. about. Uh, it's called The Pitch for Soccer in Somerville. Uh, it's a good, good report and lots of information yeah, that you wouldn't find good. elsewhere. Um, speaking to crafts officials who, uh, up to this point, I don't believe they actually talked about it openly. I don't I can't think of any incidents before where there's been rumors and uh, outsiders who have talked about it, but I think this is the first time we've actually seen a craft official uh, actually openly discuss possibility of them getting a stadium, and, and specifically in Somerville. So it, it was great to hear that, and it will be great to see the Revs go forward and actually get their own stadium. Yeah, I'd, I'd love to see that. I, I didn't realize that, uh, maybe I missed it, in, in the article, but uh, the, the possibility they're going to build a stadium over this yard, I should think that, as Eric said, that would save the crafts a fair amount of money because they wouldn't have to do all that digging and setting stuff up. 
that'd be all set. That'd be all in place. Yeah, it's certainly a very interesting possibility. Yeah. The yeah. possibility of the T, I think, going under the stadium, too, is also yeah. mentioned. And that, that would be <laughs> an interesting thing, too, saving lots of land and couldn't get a lot more convenient than that for the, That's for, true. The, for the T location. But a very exciting possibility for the Revs to build a soccer-specific stadium, be it in Somerville or, or elsewhere. Looks like Somerville's the favorite right now, but uh, certainly a long way to go. And especially with all these other MLS teams building stadiums, I think that is going to be eventual, the eventual path for every MLS team sooner or later. Oh, I, I think they, they will have to, and I do believe that they want to do it. It's just, I think the economy is a big question mark, too. Right now, is it is it really a good time? Um, although, considering who the crafts are and what they own, I think they could probably get some credit if they <laughs> needed it. Yes, if, if, <laughs> if, if anyone could, I think they'd be in, yeah. in good situation, too. Uh, but going back to the Revs in general and, and the performance this year, um, this is a team now, uh, as we've said, as we've mentioned earlier, just one game away from the playoffs. They're, the defense isn't, isn't clicking together. Uh, the offense isn't playing as well at all as they've been playing earlier. They had that one 4 nothing victory over Chivas USA back in September 11th. But other than that, they haven't scored more than two goals in, in a game. Um, I, I can't even remember the last time. Look, looking back there, I think it, actually since... If you look at the Open Cup game against the Richmond Kickers back in July 1st, but against an MLS competition, they haven't scored more than two goals. Yeah, looking like it since I think the season opener. So, oh my goodness, <laughs> that is not a good sign for the no, Revs. Not at all. I hadn't I hadn't looked at the yeah, the scores on on the sh- on the sheet there. Especially with the defense not performing yeah. as well as we're used to them performing, and without Rawson out there, the offense is unquestionably taking a hit, regardless of how well the other players perform out there. Yeah. Yeah, I, I guess the thing that, that concerns me a little bit is, um, and a lot of other people have mentioned it, and I, I've read it different places, I, Steve Nichol has a great eye most of the time for players. Um, but they always seem, the, the club always seems to have extra money that they don't spend, openings that they don't fill, where, do, where they can't find the right players. I think Padilla may be a fine player. But there isn't the structure around him. You know, as we've said, if, if Parkhurst leaves, that's a slot for Badia and probably show us lots of stuff we haven't seen yet. Um, take the, the two guys from Gambia. Gambia is a little teeny tiny country. And, and Steve and Paul, I guess, went up to Canada to the, uh, the youth games and discovered these two guys. It's a great pickup. These guys are new. They're green. They don't know the system yet. Even though they've been here, only since the beginning of the season. They still have a long way to go. Usually in the, um, it, they picked up, uh, Wells Thompson. He was their big pick, uh, you know, when they, when they picked him. And he really hasn't worked out. But I think that's, uh, that's not typical of, of what the, what, uh, particularly what Steve has done. Um, I, I don't know. I, I don't know is uh, how much the front office is responsible for not spending the money, not I don't, of course, Steve will never tell you anything. And even if he tells you, you probably might not understand what he's saying anyway. And you gotta, I, I love Steve Nickel. I've known him for a long time. I knew him when he was coaching, um, a team in Framingham before he ever went to the revolution. And, uh, he, he's, he's a great guy and I have a lot of respect for him as a coach. Um, but, and, and I think he's got, he's got very good idea of what he wants. But we'll never know what's going on. We'll never know why certain players didn't come in. Um, 
Unless we can get a spy on the inside. I don't think that's likely. I think you're not alone in that. Yeah. What we've seen, certainly from the fan comments over the years, and oh, yeah. recently especially, but uh, going back a little bit to what you, to what you mentioned, the draft, and mm-hmm. Wells Thompson, and I think if you're looking at the past, uh, that draft class wasn't wasn't the greatest, but looking at the, this year's draft class, with the exception of Kelly Dubé, who was a late-round supplemental draft pick and right. know, came through and looked really good, this this year's draft was really, I'd, I'd say, easily a bust. I mean, we don't know yeah. if Rob Valentino is going to suddenly break out next year and perform really well, uh, like we saw from Jeff Leronowitz, but he was a first-round pick. With Jeff Leronowitz, he was a supplemental draft pick, so right. when, he, when he changed the round and became a great player for the Revs, that was you know, a huge bonus. But I think from your first-round draft pick, you expect better, especially from what we... But as you mentioned, what we've seen from Steve Nichol and Paul Mariner in the past and their drafting strategies, getting guys like Twalman and Noonan and you know Dempsey and Parker's especially, right. um, it's been a disappointing draft class. And you didn't notice that that early on in the season. It wasn't a big factor because everyone was healthy. Niasi was performing well. Uh, Mansali was performing yeah, well. When all these guys right. were performing well and were healthy, the team was you know playing great soccer. And you didn't notice that, okay, the depth wasn't there because of the draft. But now that we're getting towards the end of the season, guys aren't performing well. They don't really have people challenging for their spots or, or guys that can step into those positions, some younger guys from the draft that we've seen in the past years. Yeah, yeah, that's very true. I, 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 I like Jay Heaps. I've always liked Jay not because he's the greatest player out there, but I, I don't know of anybody who plays with more heart than he does or gives, you know, a thousand percent. Um, and he's had a pretty good year this year. Uh, but nobody challenges that there really isn't anybody else. Phelan? Uh, who's he? <laughs> I'm being sarcastic, but, I mean, why did we pick him? Or trade for him. <laughs> uh, wh- that, that's right. Uh, yeah. Why? Noonan, where are you? <laughs> what happened to Gary Flood, who had been oh, yeah. looking decent last year? Um, I'm not sure, com- com- at least compared to Phelan, I think he would have put in some better performances maybe than yeah, Phelan had. I, I think you're right. Certainly not a, the greatest player in the world, but certainly a possibility for depth. Where has he gone? I know he had an, an ankle injury, I believe, and he'd been out for a while, but I, yeah. I, it sounded like he should have recovered a, a long time ago and been ready to play. I'd seen him back in practice a long time ago. I don't know. You know, if he re-injured it or what's happened there, but there, there's been a lot of guys this year that you know just haven't haven't shown up and haven't haven't shown up in these games where maybe maybe you could have used the Gary Flood to come in as a sub. Maybe they could play a three-five-two if Gary Flood was healthy. And it, it, really, the fact that the the draft class this year was pretty poor and hasn't really stepped up, I think that's been hurting the Revs a lot and is going to hurt them a lot too going towards the playoffs. And if, if guys like Niasi can't return back to form because there aren't these guys that step in and take over when they're really not playing that well. Yeah, and it's it, and it's tough when one of them leaves the team to go into the priesthood. <laughs> yeah, think, Has any other team had that experience? I, I think that is that was certainly <laughs> pretty unexpected. But yeah. th- at the same time, it would have been nice if they could have. I think they had still one roster spot open. Yeah. if they could have filled that. And going back to Jay Heaps. Who, as you said, has played had a pretty good season. I thought he's done well, especially in the three-five-two, filling out on the left side um, when they got Albright. Yeah. I thought he did a very good job going into that role. Still not convinced. I thought he looked better against DC going forward, but I'm still not convinced. As a left back and a four-four-two with offensive responsibilities, uh, that he's the best man to play That's, that position. Yeah, yeah, I agree with you there. Un- undoubtedly, he's a, he's good on, on the right getting forward. We've seen that a lot over the years, but I don't think he has a great left foot. Certainly, crossing into the box, <laughs> I don't think he would he would. Uh, I don't think he would argue that he does either going forward, but I'm not sure that's the best spot for him either. We saw Igwe. I, I, I got to say, Igwe at center back was a bad idea 
never looked good. But at left back, I didn't think he was that bad. I thought he had showed some very positive signs. I thought he yeah. was pretty good getting forward. I, I don't know what's happened to him either. Um, he put in some pretty bad performances at center back, cost the Revs a couple of goals, or several goals, almost cost him the Super League of Championship, uh, but the Revs managed to come back there. But at, at the same time, I, I don't think center back has ever is, has ever been really his position. I think left back's been his position. I think he's looked good at left back. I, mean, I don't know why we haven't seen him lately at all when the Revs have had these injuries and you know, I've needed some some help off the bench or even starting. Yeah, yeah. Oh well, we can always wait till next year. <laughs> but again, <laughs> do you have just a minute left here? Revs game Saturday uh, on Channel 38, also a home game at Gillette Stadium, 7:30 That's p.m. Right, yeah. against the Kansas City Wizards. Uh, as we mentioned, Kansas City still has not clinched a playoff spot. Pretty close to clinching one. I think a draw would do it for them at this point. Uh, but at the same time, they're going to be having a lot of motivation going into this game. The Revs have not looked good lately. Uh, already have clinched a playoff spot. Know they're going to be playing the Chicago Fire in the first round regardless. Um, have the chance for the second seed. Uh, how much they want that, we'll see. They haven't looked like they wanted it lately with the way they've been performing. But it uh, should be a very interesting game. And if the Revs can pull off a win and get some confidence, that will be huge going forward. Oh, I agree. It, it, they, they need to win. I hope they do. And, Big game there. And then going forward, we don't know when the Revs playoffs games will be yet. Uh, there's talk that they might both be on Thursday nights, uh, but which one the Revs will have, it, whether at home uh, first or, or away first, should be interesting. I think that second seed would be a huge factor to help out the Revs um, because we've seen them play Chicago and go into overtime and penalty kicks uh, several times in the past. And having that in front of your home crowd, I think, undoubtedly uh, is an important advantage. And underrated, even when you see the players talking about it, they don't really doesn't really make a difference which game is home or away. I think that for the Revs in particular, a team that has done has been so good at getting games to go as long as humanly possible, that would be an important factor for them. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Well, thanks again for joining us today. We are going to be back next week. Uh, again, Revs game, check it out on TV 38 if you can watch it, or go to the stadium at 7.30 p.m. against Kansas City Wizards, and you can get the archives at revolutionrecap.com. Thanks for listening. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.